discipline, grace, and gratitude. Hey there, brave hearts. Are you ready to unlock the extraordinary power within you and manifest your dreams into reality? I hope that you're saying yes. I am so excited to introduce the Manifestation Power Hour. This is a free event that's going to be held on the first Friday of every month at 1.30 p.m. Central. Join me and other Braveheart community members for grounding exercises, intention setting, and active intentional manifestation. I'm going to be in the trenches with you. I will be doing this work with you. It's not a sales pitch. It's just an opportunity for us to come together and get really thoughtful and grounded and intentional about what we want to manifest in our lives. We're going to work closely together as a collective to visualize and manifest our dreams. And I'm going to be right there with you. This is truly your ultimate but free ticket to transforming your life and achieving everything you've ever desired. You got to register to get access to the link and all of the timely reminders. You'll find that link at vickeryandco.com slash social. Again, that's V-I-C-K-E-R-Y-A-N-D-C-O dot com slash social. I cannot wait to see you at our next Manifestation Power Hour, the first Friday of every month, 1.30 p.m. Central. Mark your calendars, get registered. I will see you there. You know, folks, you are never too old to have a brand new life. And this week's guest published her very first novel just before turning 65 years old. That's amazing to me. I just It just reminds me that you can have so many versions of you in this life, in this timeline that we're in right now. Martha Antol had a much-loved career in racial and social justice advocacy, and she joins us to talk about what Brave actually is. And as we all know by now, it's not what we were taught growing up. She also shares how her growth is really centered around the idea of paying it forward, this approach and so much more she shares with us. I can't wait to share with you my conversation with Martha Antol. So stay with us. You're listening to The Brave Files, where we share stories from people who've stepped out of fear and into bravery in every possible way. What we know for sure is that when we choose bravely on purpose, we choose bigger, we win bigger, and it's contagious. It's our hope that these stories connect with you and encourage you to embrace bravery in every possible way, day after day. Together, we can build a movement that enriches both our lives and our communities. The Brave Files is brought to you by Vickery & Co., a success and leadership coaching firm dedicated to helping you build a life and a business that you are absolutely in love with. Vickery & Co. offers group programs, membership communities, one-on-one coaching, VIP days, corporate trainings, workshops, keynote speaking, and so much more. Visit vickeryandco.com to get all the details. Hi, folks. Welcome back to the Brave Files podcast, where we share stories of people who have stepped out of fear and into bravery in literally every possible way. And today I am welcoming Martha Ann Toll. She grew up a passionate ballet dancer, a musician, and an advocate for social and racial oop, an advocate for social and racial justice. Sometimes I trip over my own tongue, you guys. Uh, through her endeavors, 
Martha leaned into three different important life lessons. She's going to tell us about those because they're very cool. I can't wait to dig into that. And at the tender age of almost 64, she released her debut novel, Three Muses, which has already been receiving wonderful praise. I have read it. It is so good. It's right up my alley. Martha's a true inspiration who has dedicated her life to helping elevate the lives of others. And she continues to follow her own passion at the same time. Talk about Brave. Martha, welcome to the Brave Files. Thanks, Heather. I only have one little correction, which is actually just shy of my 65th birthday. You're 65th. <laughs> I don't even know. I don't yes. know if the note was wrong or if my brain tapped it. Um, that's even more amazing. So happy birthday. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> wow, that's so, so cool. All right. So I would love to just give the guests a little bit of a brief background on you. Um, you have this amazing creative background with dance and, and music and this really rich um, story of growing up. Can you give us a little insight into what life was like for you? Sure. Well, I grew up in a um, family that was passionate about reading and writing. My mom was a professional copy editor, and my dad was a lawyer who loved to write. And I'm one of four girls, and words were super important, like keeping the encyclopedia when we had um, written encyclopedias next to the dining room table <laughs> and a big fat dictionary. I love it. And um, they were very supportive in trying to expose us to as much of the music and arts as they could. So I'm super grateful for that. And the other thing is I don't have any formal writing education. So um, I don't think I could have beat the education I got in like seventh and eighth grade when I would show my parents my papers and they would come back with a lot of red pencil on them. And I mean a lot. <laughs> So sort of beaten into me at a young age, for which I'm incredibly grateful. Um, and then I went on to pursue a career as a professional musician. I am a viola player. And for various reasons, that didn't work out. And my second novel, which has just been accepted for publication in early 2025, is called Duet for One. And that is a deep exploration into that period of my life. And went to law school and became... Um, again, surrounded by words. Lawyers use a lot of words. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then I was really incredibly lucky to be hired um, to run a new social justice organization, which gave money to um, racial justice, criminal justice, and the American death penalty and housing and homelessness. And that, that's really where I spent my career. And tried to publish for a long time and we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, I love that. I love that your parents kept you surrounded by words and education. I'm laughing. If I tried to highly edit my teenagers or preteens papers, they would never talk to me again. They're like, you mind your own <laughs> business. <laughs> mommy. Um, but I love that you wanted your parents to do it and that they were passionate about it. And that's a, a growth thing for you. I have to ask, where are you in the breakdown of four girls? Because I have four girls. You do? Oh my gosh, that's yeah. so rare. And I, I know, I mean, I keep track of this. I'm the third in the birth order. And I will say, I don't think any of my other sisters asked for this feedback. And I can guarantee you, I'm the mother of two girls. They really did not want that feedback. That's That would be a euphemism. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know if it's the third in every family, but my third is by far my spiciest, sassiest, gutsiest child. <laughs> well, this is great for the Brave uh, podcast because I 
my reputation in the family is probably the exact opposite. Oh, wow. And it took me well into adulthood to recognize that the risks that I was interested in taking don't always read as brave. And so mm. I kind of have developed my concept of bravery along the way. So that it's good for this podcast actually to talk about that. that. Let's go ahead and explore that. So what I just heard you say was that it was not until you were well into adulthood that you were like, wait, wait. I have always thought I was cautious and not a risk taker and not doing brave things, but turns out maybe you were. Can you unpack that a little? Sure. Well, before Heather and I got on the air, I shared my view that I think bravery is doing something you're terrified of and getting out of your comfort zone. And it's not like, you know, whatever the classic thing we might think about, which is often a male definition of bravery. So um, I... Uh, my mom was physically fearless, which had its own repercussions, very anxiety producing for me as a child, because she was taking yeah. risks that as a young child, I understood were extremely unsafe, like taking a canoe into the open ocean when it wasn't seaworthy or chasing. Oh I grew up in Philadelphia. She got mugged and she chased her mugger around the block. Wow. <laughs> She probably was like missing that fear stimulator. She, like was, I, she, she was missing the, she was missing it. And probably I, I always think about that mugger and I thought, gosh, she probably had to put the fear of God into it. was this crazy white lady chasing him around. Anyway. Um, so, um, so, and, and that was, she prized that in us, her children. And I am the least physically, um, I, I would say risk averse of my sisters. I mean, I certainly, my mom had too many kids to um, chaperone and carpool around. So she put me on the train to Philadelphia when I was nine, which was wow. pretty scary. Yeah. And then but, um, by the time I was 11 or 12, I was taking the train home at, late at night from ballet classes. And that terrified me, but I did it. So, but my older sisters traveled more around the world. They, they were, t and, and also my younger sister. I'm the one who was least taking those expected risks, but I was engaged, I would say, with other kinds of risks. Okay. Uh, well, I think <laughs> whether or not you had a choice in taking the train and doing those things at such a young age, it was certainly brave. Uh, you know, <laughs> I think a lot of kids would be like, no, no I just won't go. So yeah. first of all, yeah. I think that's very cool. But what later upon reflection do you think was actually brave that maybe you didn't feel was brave at the time or folks told you didn't count? Mm -hmm. um, well, I think that writing in general is an act of bravery. And I don't say this being self to be self-aggrandizing. I say it because to get to a point where you're getting personal satisfaction from it and other people may want to see it, you do have to expose a lot of your inside. And I'm not, um, a, I'm not a revenge writer, and B, I'm not a um, expose all writer. But I do think that having people read your stuff is pretty scary. And I have one small story that I want to share that's slightly, slightly off topic, but I think it's not off topic. Um, I worked in homelessness for my whole career. And before I did that, I volunteered in a shelter um, in downtown Washington. It was a women's shelter. And one day a pizza truck came. I was the only, for whatever reason, I was the only one on duty that night serving dinner. And um, the pizza truck was going to give pizza to all these women, but the 
pizza pies were not coming out of the truck fast enough. And I turned to women in a dining room and it was clear that people were getting really, really, really upset and anxious that they weren't going to get their pizzas. And I had to deal with that. There was nobody around to help me. So I just said with a voice of authority, hi, everybody, I promise I promise you there's enough pizza for everybody. So would you be kind enough to sit at your tables and I'm going to number your tables and we're going to have to take turns because they're only coming out one pie at a time, but um, it's going to be, it's going to be okay. Everyone's going to get fed. And immediately the temperature went down in the room and I realized they, what they were looking for was some kind of reassurance that they were going to get dinner that night. Mm -hmm. And that having a person in authority to say that was all that they needed. And I've spoken at various leadership um, seminars and told that story because I think leadership is not about knowing all the answers or being um, naturally brave, but it's taking a position that will make the people around you feel secure. And I think that's connected to bravery. Yeah, absolutely. No, I really love that. And of course, we're going to behave certain ways if we're conditioned to think we're, we're not going to get what we need to stay alive. Mm -hmm. Right? Exactly. Um, and there's exactly. certainly a huge element of bravery in general in staying alive when all of the things happening to you and around you are trying to prevent you from staying yes. alive. Yeah. 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 I think that's really beautiful. And, and so how did you end up in this advocacy work? Well, I started out in a traditional legal career and then I worked for the government and then I worked for a nonprofit. And then I was sort of like, mm, law isn't really like doing it for me. It felt too formal <laughs> in a way. Um, so I started to look around. I was incredibly lucky. This family was just organizing. They had come into some money. And they were just organizing a foundation. Um, not my family. I was the staff person, and they were looking somebody to run for somebody to run it. I I was also looking for a job at that time, so it was just a really good confluence. And um, they needed some leadership too. <laughs> they were a family, and my job was half family psychologist, I might say, and <laughs> and half leader of the organization. So it was my job to um, get us on the map and create networks for us to be able to do our work. That's awesome. And did you love that work? I loved it. And I felt it was really meaningful. And I felt it was this extraordinary opportunity to meet advocates on the ground that were doing the most amazing selfless work. And to be able to support that work was, I mean, it was just an incredible privilege. It was amazing. Yeah. Also, I, just... I want to just say it was inspiring because, mm -hmm. you know, we were saying before I got on the podcast, where is bravery? Where is leadership? It comes from really unexpected places. Mm. And you meet these people and you're just like, wow, I'm so honored to know you. <laughs> I love that. I'm writing that down for a quote. You guys are going to see this <laughs> bravery and courage from come from unexpected places. Yeah. Um, I couldn't agree more. Okay. So your book, Three Muses, which had me, I, I, I read a lot. I've, I read typically over a hundred books a year and I, um, I love historical fiction. I love history. I love multiple timelines. All of those things are included. Tell, tell us about the journey towards three muses and, and it took you quite some time for this book to be birthed. I'd love to hear about that journey. 
Thank you. Well, I hope there's some writers out in the audience because I want to be your supporter and cheerleader. It took me a really long time. I started Three Muses in 2010, but that is not when I started writing fiction. I started writing fiction in the early aughts after my mom died pretty precipitously. It sort of opened the floodgates. And everybody told me you can't publish a book without getting an agent. Um, the first book typically is in the drawer and we never want to look at it again. <laughs> But the second, third, and fourth book, I was able to get an agent for, but the agent was not able to sell it to a publisher, so they weren't published. And this was a very long time period, and it caused me a lot of despair, because everyone kept saying it's harder to get the agent than to get the publication. And it was pretty much a, a very, very intensive period of straight up rejection. And... I was despairing, um, and so I tried various things to kind of grow another branch. One of the things that I did during that time was to become a book critic. I was able to start on the ground floor of a publication in Washington, D.C., where I live. It's called the Washington Independent Review of Books, and they gave me my first um, job as a book reviewer. It was volunteer. I still love them. They're doing beautiful work. And um, what that did is this a bravery tangent or adjacent something yeah. or other um it started giving me a byline and i started getting published yeah. and that helped keep me mentally sane while i was getting um a really pretty much consistent rejections from fiction land and um so i started three muses in 2010 um that was my third agent i did get an agent for it i had two agents vying for it as a matter of fact and the agent that I went with was extremely helpful. She did two years of very solid editing and advising, and she made it a much better book. Um, and then the normal path is that they try to submit it to the biggest publishers they can. I had always thought I would end up with an independent publisher. Um, and as it turned out, the big publishers did not accept it. And then she really didn't have an appetite for selling it to the independent publishers. So I asked, I asked if we could... Um, break our contract, essentially an amicable divorce, took the book back and started submitting it myself to various things. And I started getting some really positive feedback, like it started being like a finalist in contests and stuff. So that helped me. But also it had taken, you know, at the end, it was close to 20 years. And by this point, I really believed that I should get behind this book and stick with it. And so I entered uh, one of the things I did was to enter it into a contest at Regal House, which is my publisher, and it won their prize that comes from publication. It's called the Petricor Prize for Finely Crafted Fiction. And I feel like I was struck by lightning, and I was, and also I'm sure I had to spend those 20 years doing the work. <laughs> Isn't that the way it is? Like, it's frustrating, but also we absolutely wouldn't be where we are in this moment if we hadn't done the things that we've done, gone through the struggles that we've gone through. Yeah. And, you know, my first word of my three words was discipline. I just feel like I had to stick with it. And what I kept asking myself was, um, or I guess what I would say is what I kept noticing about myself is I kept writing, even through all these rejections. And finally, yeah. I had to say, okay, that's meaningful. That was the first lesson. It's meaningful if you're picking yourself up and going back to it, even if you cried for three days. And then the other thing that I felt was really meaningful was um, 
the concept, which took me a long time to understand, that in, in the arts, in particular writing, rejection is normal. So it's very, very normal to get rejected. And somebody gave wonderful advice about trying to get 100 rejections a year. Yep. And that, that an acceptance is the abnormal. And once I could kind of switch those, um, the balance there and recognize that what I was going through was shared by so many people, I actually started to feel better. I love that. I have heard that from several friends who are performers is mm. go for 100 rejections. I have one friend that even has like a, you know, like a sticker list, like a gold star sticker list for every time she gets turned down. Cause she was like, I love that. Eventually this is going to be a yes, but I got to go through a hundred no's first. So, and that just is a See, nice reminder that success is self-defined. Yes. And I think your friend is brave. And I just want to say I that I'd love those gold stars. So I had a system cause I was in such despair and so what I decided is I will feel better if I start thinking about other people, which honestly I was doing the whole time. Because, you know, that was my job basically and also my life. But I was like, every time I get a rejection, I'm going to make a contribution to a charitable organization. Or, and so that got expensive, but it was still a great thing to do. And then I also was like, I'm going to reach out to somebody who doesn't feel well or give a writer a compliment, you know, like do something to give something to somebody else. And that is my practice. That is still I my practice. love that. There's, they actually teach that. I'm certified in positive psychology and they teach that to mm -hmm. us in in the courses which is uh, make it about something bigger than you and anytime that. you yeah. can do that you start to it, it just puts things in perspective right it allows mm -hmm. you to see yeah. what is good around you what you're feeling grateful for mm -hmm. and of course if you're going out there and um giving these kindnesses to other people it just shifts energy and community and all of that so that's so beautiful i i i love that so much you um, you talk about these three major life lessons that um, I think play into your book, The Muse, Muses. Am I going to get it right? The Three Muses. Three Muses. All of a sudden, yes. my brain just went doop, doop. So can you share the, the three yes. life lessons and, and the story of the book? Thank you. Yes. So my three life lessons were discipline, grace, and gratitude. And I'll talk about the book. So Three Muses is nominally a love story between a Holocaust survivor and a ballerina, but it's actually a lot about a lot more. It's it's about all kinds of love, different love, and how love helps us through our lives in different forms. And it's also a lot about grief and discipline. So the um, prem the three muses in my book are a branch of Greek mythology that I was not familiar with before I started, in which there are three muses, and they are song, discipline, and memory. And I love those three muses because it's kind of everything I believe in my life. So John, one of the protagonists, um, is um, from a Jewish family in Mainz. And his uh, early upbringing is somewhat based on uh, relatives of mine. And his family is deported um, during the war. And his mother saves his life by telling um, the SS officer that, John, that his name was Yonko then, that Yonko can sing, and so his life is saved, and he's brought to sing for the commandant of the camp, which is how he survives, but he has essentially survived by singing for his family's killer, which gives him a tremendous mm. um, conflict around music. It's both his life saved him, it's also the means to his family's uh, destruction. He makes it to New York, becomes a psychiatrist, 
and he falls in love with a ballerina who is nominally associated with discipline um, and a ballerina cannot do her work if she doesn't have music so that relationship is kind of fraught to start with and the ballerina Katya is is in a very complicated enmeshed abusive um, relationship with her choreographer so that's the setup all right it's so it's so good and it's so fun and I and I love it you talk about um, not necessarily in the book but in general that music is in the rests and I'd love to have you sort of expand on that because I think social justice work and advocacy work is in the rest like so much is in it like you can't go all the time without breathing and I'd love to sort of hear your thoughts on that. That's so interesting. So I was, uh, this is the gratitude and the grace part. I was, or part of it. Um, I was blessed with this extraordinarily fantastic teacher mentor in my high school and college years for the viola who taught me pretty much everything I know in life um, in, in many ways. And he had an expression, the music is in the rest. And what he meant was that if the music is not framed up with, what you just said, some place to breathe, some place that will give the music shape, you're going to lose the whole piece. And I, I love that. I think it's so beautiful, and I feel like it is such a part of life. If we go, 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 and then don't take stock or don't, don't do the things we love to do, like whatever it is we love, visit with our friends or our, you know, be with our family or smell the roses or meditate, whatever that practice is for each of us. We need that. And it's bigger than balance. It's something more profound, I feel, about seeing the grace in your own life, giving to other people in a way that um, makes them feel better, and appreciating, in my case, I feel I have such deep appreciation for what I have been given and to try to put some some of it out there. Yeah. Oh, that's really beautiful. Um, I love that. It's definitely bigger than balance. Although when I, I have a whole keynote presentation on balance, but when I talk about it, I remind people that it's not the scales of justice. It's simply how you feel at the end of the day, week, month, year about how you're spending your time and your energy. And if it feels good to you, you get to be balanced. And it can't feel good if we don't ever give ourselves grace, if we don't ever pause, if we don't ever fill up our own cups. We can't we can't give constantly and endlessly without caring for ourselves because we, you know, the wheels fall off, right? Yeah, exactly. And I feel like, you know, it's kind of what I said before about, I think an antidote, one antidote is to the kind of despair that I felt so I was getting rejected was to try to reach out to other people because it is like as saying as old as the hills but it's better to give them to receive I mean there's a whole piece around that I think and you know to build community and and be part of community yeah I think that's so cool I love that so much um I'm curious so your your new book is already scheduled to come out in a couple of years what was the overlap between Three Muses and the new one, which is called, called Duet for One? Duet for One. So Three Muses, first of all, it had like a beautiful birth. I feel incredible. I came out the end of September and I turned 65 in October. I'm like, wow, I'm having like a whole second thing happening here. It's like very exciting. 
I'm running around a lot doing book presentations and writing stuff about it and meeting all kinds of fantastic readers and learning so much. And I, I mean, that is an incredible gift. And it's, I'm, I hope it gives some people some inspiration. I'm very excited about it. So Duet for One is an earlier novel, which I am very close to. Like, it's, it's something I wanted to get born. And mm. I... Um, sort of revise it every two years and think about it. And then I did a major revision after Three Muses was accepted for publication because there's a lag time between acceptance and when the book actually comes out. In my case, it was two years. So I had an opportunity to really go all in on Duet for One. And then I'm just incredibly grateful that my publisher accepted for publication. So that is, I don't know, I'm like pinching myself. I really can't believe it. I mean, I still can't believe I have one book out. The idea of two is like, woohoo! So I'm really excited. Absolutely. And I love that you said you feel like you're getting a second life. Like you've lived this whole amazing life. You've done work that you're proud of and you have a lot of passion for. And it's just, to me, there's, there's so much bravery there and so much light and love and opportunity for anybody who's listening to say like, there can be so many versions of you. Like you can love and lean into who you are right now and then that can shift. There are more opportunities. It's never, ever too late to follow your passions, to try something new. And I just think it's really, it's really beautiful. I'm curious what your writing disciplines are. Like, how do you get these books written? Because we do have a lot of writers or folks who want to be that listen. And a lot of times it just feels overwhelming. Yeah, and that's a great question. I mean, I used to have a more regular schedule when I had a full-time job. I also raised two kids, and I'm a morning writer, I will say that. But I'm a little off my program because I'm doing so much traveling for three muses, which I'm really happy to be doing. Yeah. So I guess what I would say is... I have a couple of mantras. One is writing begets writing. So I think I mentioned that I'm a book reviewer. So I do keep up with my book reviews. I feel like writing a book review is still keeping those muscles in shape, even if it's not in service of a novel that I'm working on. So that's one thing. Second thing is I don't believe in waiting for inspiration. Um, inspiration is a little bit of a, like, I'm not, I'm not big on that concept. Like, I, I love being inspired. I'm inspired by being on this podcast. I'm inspired by meeting people, but waiting for an idea to write about, mm, I think you've got to be in front of the computer. So, and my feeling is that writing begets writing. When you start writing more stuff, start yeah. coming out. And I often say, if you can stay one sentence ahead of yourself, you're okay. So some writers interpret that and say, I stop each day in the middle of a sentence because then I know I will have something to say when I get back on. I don't think when you start a novel, you have to have a concept to hold novel. Like in my professional life before this, I outlined all the time. I wrote memos, I was super organized. In my fiction life, it's chaos. I just trial and error. I don't make plans. I'm not saying this is for everybody because it's definitely not for everybody, but I just feel in fiction land, I have to be more iterative and um, organic. Yeah, I get that. That makes sense. In different type of writing, we tap into different parts of us to do it. Yes, that's an old Hemingway thing, right? Stop in the middle of a passionate idea when you're really excited and then walk away and it gives yeah. you motivation to come back. Yeah, I yeah. love that. I did I, when I my book, Fuck Fearless, um, I wrote <laughs> the first messy draft of it during NaNoWriMo. 
And I was also a morning writer. And I was like, okay, we're going to get up way before I want to be up. And I'm going to do this every day. And I'm going to get my 1600 words in. And we're just going to do it for 30 days. And we did. Yeah. And here we go. We have a book. So that's exciting. But yes. It's amazing. Um, it's amazing. It's and so I mean, I, you know, I, I'm really passionate about revising, but I think this one is the first draft is the hardest to get on the page. And I know there are a lot of parents out there and moms who like maybe that 15 minutes a day. I mean, I think you can sometimes grab those 15 minutes, make notes on your phone, you know, sure. write three sentences. I'm, I'm, I'm into using those kind of, Again, don't wait for the inspiration. Just get something down when you can. Because it's, you know, home life is chaotic for most of us. Yeah, absolutely. No, I love that. Don't, um, I think the message is, and this is how I built my reading tolerance back up. Uh, folks who have been around for a long time have heard this, but I haven't told this story in a long time, is by what I called reading in the cracks. So same for writing, mm -hmm. same for anything that you want to do. If we let go of the idea that we have to have hours and hours and hours to dedicate to something, you'd be amazed at how much you can create. And so for me, um, well, I was invited to do the 12 books in 12 months challenge, which is take 12 books that have been collecting dust on your shelf and read one a month for a year. And I have an English degree. I used to read a lot, but I had four little bitty kids and I was like, you've lost your mind. I don't read 12 pages a year. You think I'm going to read 12 months? Like, no way, I can't do it. And I was like, mm, thanks for the invitation, but no. And then shortly thereafter, Barack Obama's list of like his favorite 50. I'm like, well, fuck. Yeah. If Barack Obama <laughs> can read 50 books, I could probably do 12. And the idea just wouldn't go away. So I was like, okay, fine, I'll do it. And that was how I did it by deciding I would have a book with me at all times. And if I had 10 or 15 minutes, instead of scrolling social media, I would just read a little bit. And of course, reading begets reading as well. You get into it. You don't want to stop. You find more time to read. And I think that first year I read 26 or 28 books, which wow. was pretty great. And then it's just kind of doubled. I don't know that we're going to get past much past 125. That was extensive last year. It's a lot of reading. Um, it is. And I don't think, you know, and I just, it's a huge number. It's amazing. But also we don't really have to worry about the numbers, but I right. do feel that for writers, um, for this writer, me, I am so inspired by my reading. So I just said, don't wait for inspiration, but I look to my reading for inspiration. Yeah. So you read a good book. You're like charged up and ready to go. So. Absolutely. Me too. Even when I read fiction, um, I find all sorts of inspiration. I find inspiration from from everything that I experience creatively around me. And I, I love that you do too. And it isn't like this, for those of you listening, this is not a competition. You don't have to read a certain amount. I really enjoy it. I kind of get a little bit of a high. I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm reading this much. But I don't read because I want to get those numbers. It just yeah. happens. And I also yeah. allow myself. So the last three weeks, um, I just, I have, my brain has been very busy. I have not been able to read. So sometimes, you know, I'll be reading four books at one time and then, then I'll go three weeks and I won't even pick one up. And that's just. Just life, right? So um, two plugs here. One plug is for my public library. We all have a public love library. love my public here. library. I get all my books They're from the library. amazing. I love, the li librarians and libraries are amazing places and visit it if you, if you can. I have also didn't ever think this would happen in the last three years, particularly during COVID. I've gotten into listening to books, to audiobooks, and that's been a really liberating thing for me because you can 
listen at various times. A friend of mine said, you could listen while you're ironing. I'm like, well, I never iron, but I get the idea. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and our public library, I think probably every public library in the country has a means to borrow audiobooks. So that's just been a huge boon for me, and I love that. Absolutely. I, like I said, I get all my books from the library, and about 50% of what I read are memoirs, and I only listen to them. Because I love mm-hmm. to listen to memoirs. So I completely agree. I it would not be financially s- uh, possible for me to read what I read. If I had to buy all those books, like I'd have to have a fourth or fifth job to, to manage that. <laughs> um, so, yes, I'm I with love you. memoirs, too, because you feel like you're getting to know somebody. And, and people's lives are so interesting and so different. Yeah, so interesting, so different. I I love it. I think it's so much fun. And I just love your your light and your energy around all of that. Um, what do you yeah. think has been the biggest pleasant surprise for you in this new, the use of this new life? What has sort of, you didn't expect it, but it's just delightful. Um, well, I think it's really been going to book groups and having, I mean, I've done a lot of public speaking and, you know, it's wonderful to be on podcasts, but the thing about book groups and whoever listeners who are out there, I love coming to book groups. Please get in touch with me. I zoom into them all the time. The difference between speaking to a larger audience and to a book group is the ability to really engage with individuals and learn about your own book. It's, it's just it's unbelievable privilege. It's been extraordinary to hear from readers. I just went for so long, you know, feeling like the tree that fell in the forest. Like, you know, if you're a writer, there's really not not a you're you're missing half of the partnership if you don't have readers. I just love that. I still still can't believe that like I have this book that's making its way in the world. This is yeah. so exciting. <laughs> <laughs> it is exciting, and I love that answer. Um, I never know what anybody's going to say to that, but this idea of making sure you're talking to the people who are reading your book and experiencing your book, and then you get to feel it in a different way. You experience it differently yourself because of the way they're experiencing it. That's so cool. Yeah. That leads really nicely into a question that I ask in every episode that I am passionate about, which is how do you celebrate when things, all of the things that are good and, and going well, whether they're little bitty um, or huge? How do you like to celebrate? Well, first I want to say, answer that with how do I unstick myself and get off the, uh, what's the word, you know, the, what's that wheel? The oh, the hamster wheel, yeah. The hamster wheel, yeah. I mean, because in my life, I had to do that first. So my book came out as a panic, oh, it's not I didn't do this, I didn't do that. You can always, always, always say what you didn't do. Really, I'm really great at doing that. So it didn't take me long, but I had to get there to say, wait, I need to celebrate. I'm not in control of how many people buy this book. I can't control my sales numbers. I've just been given this huge gift. I had to get there. I'm not proud of that, but I suspect that there are a lot of people in the audience who yeah. kind of have to get there. So once I could step back and say, I really have no control over what this book does in the world, and to the extent that I have control, I cannot do everything that I meant to do because there are 24 hours in a day, and we all need some rest time. So I, so for me, I had to get to that step to celebrate, and that was really fun. And the other thing that I'm doing, which is part of my, 
I just feel it's a part of the celebration is really, really trying to pay it forward. I've been spending a lot of time with authors who are like six months behind me, a year behind me, helping connect them with some of the folks I got connected with, helping them with their pitch letters. I mean, that just feels like a really important part of this process because people help me, so many help, help, people helped me along the way and so many people supported me. So supporting other writers is a really important part of my way of celebrating. And also, I'll be honest, I'm still, I still need to learn those lessons about breathing deep and going, wow, this is pretty great. I'm not, not great about the slowing down part. Oh, uh, well, I, here's your invitation to lean into that because um, yeah. positive psychology teaches us that gratitude is the number one way to um, increase overall happiness, joy, and well-being while decreasing stress, anxiety, and depression. So something as simple as a daily gratitude practice would help you find the things worth celebrating more easily and sort of get outside of your head and get back into your heart. So there's your invitation. I completely <laughs> one, one thing that I did, I didn't finish this, but I wouldn't, I think it's a good idea. I would also want to put this out to your audience is try to put together these incredibly generous emails and personal texts that I've received from readers. Mm -hmm. I, I put half of them in one document. I want, I'm going to finish the document. So if you're having a down day or feeling like things aren't going the way you want, which is very frequent, um, you can just go back and read that stuff because yeah. people are so generous. I love that. Every, we all get fan mail in one way or another, whether it's just a text from somebody saying, it was so nice to see you. I love spending time with you. Whatever it is, right? And keep it and whenever you need it, be able to tap into it. I love that. Yeah, yeah that's great. <laughs> yeah. Martha, what is your favorite charitable organization to support? Yeah, so I have a million. Um, I knew you did. <laughs> I'm going I'm to um, point your listeners towards Equal Justice Initiative, which was founded by Brian Stevenson, who wrote Just Mercy. And Brian is a renowned death penalty lawyer and lawyer for um, exonerating and also reducing sentences for children. Um, but he is also the brains and the imagination of Ron behind the Lynch Museum in Montgomery, wow. Alabama, which is an extraordinary experience. I really encourage everybody to go there, but for those of you who can't afford it, which I totally understand, the website at Equal Justice Initiative will take you through a lot of it, and it has all kinds of lessons about racial justice and criminal justice, so that would be my suggestion. That's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing them with us. I ask this every episode, but listeners, go check it out. Do what you can. Support, share, like, whatever it is. Just get to know them because wow, do we need to come together as a community to elevate and to get out of the muck that we're in. Uh, this won't happen if we don't do it as a collective. So go check it out. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Martha, you. will you give us your three words one last time? Yes. Um, discipline, grace, and gratitude. I love them. They're really beautiful words. Obviously, you know that gratitude is a big word for me. Um, I've written and published two gratitude journals, and uh, I just am a big fan. Um, but I can see how that discipline and that grace showed up in all of the things that you shared. They're just really lovely words to leave people with. It's such an honor to be sharing this space with you and to be able to read your beautiful book. So thank you so much. Thank you. It's been a real, real pleasure to be talking to you and I'm totally honored. Thank you. I just loved that. That just felt like such a warm, it was like a big warm fuzzy hug or a great cup of tea. So much uh, joy and light and hope and positivity 
radiating from Martha. I hope you enjoyed it as well. Go grab her book, Three Muses. It's really great. You're going to love it. I've enjoyed it very much. I can't wait for the next book to come out. But in general, this idea, right, of um, paying it forward, especially I loved where Martha said as she got rejected, um, every time there was a rejection, she would go do something nice for someone else, even if it was just a really simple thing like sending a message or, or thinking, telling somebody you're thinking about them, like just such a lovely way to refocus and recenter yourself. And I just love it. I just think she's amazing. So be sure to follow along with everything Martha is doing. And um, yeah. Also, don't forget to register for our free first Friday manifestation power hour. It happens the first Friday of every month. And I cannot wait to share this space with you and co-create our dream futures together. You can sign up at vickeryandco.com slash social, totally free, lots of fun. I can't wait to be there with you. If you enjoy this episode, anything we put out on the Brave Files or my sister podcast, Was It Chance, that I co-host with my friend Alan Seals. That's the podcast about taking intentional risk for creative success or any of the other content I put out, my weekly live show, Brave in Action. You can actually say thanks. Essentially, it's a tip jar or, you know, buy my coffee for the week or maybe my matcha. If you visit vickeryandco.com slash say thanks, you can let me know that you love the work I'm doing, that it's making an impact on your life or maybe just bringing you a little joy. Anything you want to contribute is much appreciated. And because I like to say thank you when you say thank you, I'm going to give you specific love here on the podcast, either on my newsletter, the podcast, or the weekly live show, Brave in Action. So I'm going to be sure to thank you for being awesome and thanking me. All right, folks, you are amazing. Thank you so much for everything. I will see you soon. This is Heather Vickery reminding you today and every single day to go out and choose bravely. Bye now. You've been listening to The Brave Files, stories of people living courageously. Visit us at thebravefilespodcast.com to learn more about the show, find our show notes, and access full episode transcripts. And we'd love to know what you think of the show. We invite you to connect with us via Instagram and send a DM. You'll find us at The Brave Files Podcast on Instagram. Our music was created and produced in a custom collaboration with Matt Lewis from ML Creative Consulting, a boutique firm dedicated to helping clients identify their unique sound and amplify their brand with custom-delivered soundtracks. Special thanks to everyone on Team Brave, from our audio engineer to our producers, associate producers, copy editors, writers, and support team. The show wouldn't exist without them, and we are eternally grateful. I'm your host and executive producer, Heather Vickery. Thanks for tuning in.